My name is Dr. Erica Jordan Thomas, and I am an education uh, consultant. I'm an edupreneur. And for those of you who I don't know, just a quick background around me. I'm a former teacher, former uh, instructional coach, former assistant principal, former principal. I launched my consulting business in October of 2017. And then I transitioned. At the time, I was a principal. So if you ever ask, um, if you can launch your consulting business while working full time, the answer is yes, because that's what I did. I was a principal chat when I launched my consulting business. So it's totally possible. Hey, Jonathan. Um, and I transitioned uh, out of the principalship to go back to school full time where I got my doctorate um, from Harvard Graduate School of Education. And just graduated last May. So I'm now full-time in my business. And I have two businesses. I have EJT Consulting LLC, which is my personal education consulting business where I coach principals. I work with school districts. And I have Get Launch Consulting, which is my business that supports educators and helping them walk through the steps uh, to help them grow their own personal consulting business. And so, um, hey, Gina. Oh, you're in the airport too? <laughs> yes, we're we're in route. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad you were able to join and pop in. Um, I'm in Dallas right now. And so um, I'll share with you all, if you, if you follow me on social media, you'll find out where I'm headed to because this is my little birthday trip to myself um, because my birthday is September 17th. So it's in a it's in a few days. Um, but anyway, so we're going to go ahead, jump in and get started. Uh, if you're new to JT Office Hours, I do this every other Thursday. And so I, and I have a private Facebook group. If you're on Instagram, if you're not in my private Facebook group, you can click the link in my bio in order to join. And so um, you... Yeah, I'm just paying attention to all the comments. Hey, Andre. Um, and so if you click the link in my bio, that'll take you to the private Facebook group you can join. But for JT Office Hours, we release a poll every other Thursday with a set of questions. And these are questions that people who are in the group submitted when they joined. And you can always add questions too. Hey, Lisa. Um, and so you can add questions when we submit the poll. And then the group votes on what questions they want me to answer. The questions with the, the three questions with the most votes. I then go live the following Thursday and answer those questions. So here I am live and I'm answering three questions for you. Hey, Siobhan. Oh, yes, it's Virgo season, child. It is Virgo season. And you know what, y'all? Every time. My birthday comes around. I realize all of the beautiful people I know that are Virgos and it makes so much sense. So yes, it makes so much sense. You're a Virgo, Siobhan, my, my goal friend. All right. So the three answer, the three questions that we're going to be uh, chatting about today are what types of funding are available for for-profits? Um, what is the best way to approach a district? And then who makes decisions for districts regarding consulting contracts? So these are three great questions. So uh, for my folks who are um, on Facebook and on Instagram, if you see me looking back and forth, it's because I'm, I'm going live in both places. If you're on Facebook, I have really bad lighting because I don't have my little ring light because it's in my luggage. So uh, excuse my bad lighting. 
Okay. So um, those are three questions. Hey, oh, you told me how to share your name uh, last time. Is it Isis? Uh, correct me, please, if if I have that incorrectly, because you told me how to say it last time, and it's escaping my brain right now. Um, logging in from Maryland. Hey, hey, hey. All right. Uh, so we're going to start with the first question of, oh, yeah, I got it right. Perfect. Okay, good. Uh, what types of funding are available for for-profits? All right. So types of funding that are available for for-profits. Y'all give me a second. Let me grab water. Hold on. Okay. I felt felt my, my throat starting to get dry, so I'll make sure I got my water. What types of funding are available for for-profits? So there are um, two types of funding that are available for, for nonprofits. And I'll share with you, uh, I'll share with you kind of um, what I know about both of them, some things to kind of look out for. So for for-profits, here's what I have found to be a little tricky is when you're running a consulting business, and this is this is the tricky part of the funding landscape that honestly for me has been personally frustrating, is most people, when they are considered funding for for-profits, they are considering uh, funding in exchange for equity. So they're thinking about uh, for-profit uh organizations that are are uh, dependent on this injection of funding in order to grow and scale and they're going to have stakeholders like that's been one of the the my observations is that many funding opportunities that are targeted towards for-profit organizations you want to be really really clear cuz sometimes it's a pitch competition um, and even in the ed space, a lot of the funding opportunities that um, are, are really well known, there usually are some different um, uh, funding guidelines for for-profits. So even Echo and Green, which is a really popular um, kind of incubator that provides funding for folks in the education sector, their for-profit guidelines um, are actually in, uh, written as a loan where uh, you actually have to pay back the funds. Um, and so I say that to say that uh, there's there's what you will see an overwhelming amount of when you're looking for funding as a for-profit organization. You'll see a lot of pitch competitions. You'll see a lot of funding and exchange for some type of equity. Um, my personal opinion is I'm not giving equity to anybody in my company. So a lot of those funding opportunities were not available to me. So um, and pitch competitions, that's a that's a serious commitment because this isn't just you're filling out an application. This is like you have to have a very thoughtful, crafted pitch of of who you are, what your your mission is, how that aligns to the organization that's hosting the pitch competition, that's more of an intricate process. The other side of funding that I personally lean more towards is business grants. So there are a number of different business grants um, that are 
through a number of different organizations that you could qualify for that don't require an exchange for equity. And so if you literally just Google (laughs) business grants, you will find a ton. I mean, even the SBA, the Small Business Administration, they give business grants. Um, and that's, you know, one uh, another stream of funding that even during the pandemic, there was the PPP program, Payroll Protection Program, which was a source of funding that was actually, um, it was structured as a forgivable loan. Um, that is no longer available. And so, but that's one resource you can dive into. But um, just do some some research and Googling around different business grants. Um, check out locally, check out nationally. And oftentimes, usually, and, and this is where I would recommend that when you're looking for some of these business grants, the more niche you can get in the business grant, the better. So if you all have been following me, for a few months, you know that I got an amazing business grant to help me build and grow Get Launch Consulting. The grant was $200,000, which was a beautiful, beautiful blessing. I'm fortunate that it was a grant. It did not require an exchange for equity. Um, it was It was funds for my business. And so that was through New School Venture Fund. Um, So that's a source you could look into. They have different funding um, portfolios. That's actually would be uh, considered philanthropy. Um, And so you can can go that route and look into um, the philanthropic route. And here's the thing, different uh, philanthropy organizations are typically either known for funding certain priorities and or different stages of business. Um, so there's, there's some nuances there that you want to consider. Um, but I share all this to say that one of my recommendations to you would be when you're thinking about grant opportunities is the more niche that you can get with the grant opportunity, the better. So let me give you an example. And I see, I see, uh, the, the congratulations in the chat. Thank you all for that. Um, so I can, uh, so let me give an example of when I say the more niche you can get with a business grant and funding, the better. Here's an example. I could apply to grants for Black women entrepreneurs. I could apply to that. And or I can apply to grants for Black women entrepreneurs leading businesses in the education sector focus on diversifying education leaders. So notice the difference. One was just purely an identity marker versus another is the identity marker that I hold as an entrepreneur, who my target client is, and the mission of my business. So the more niche the the business grant focuses, the actually um, better positioned that you are to be a fit so the the last kind of few thoughts that I have related to this question is really thinking about um, what you would consider to be the 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 niche that your business is serving and searching for business grants that that are focused on that niche um, because you have to treat funding sources, almost like a new client avatar. So when I say client avatar, um, if that language is new for people, basically like a, a, a 
client profile, of knowing them deeply and intimately enough to know how to inform your messaging and your approach. Um, and so uh, because of that, when you're applying to business grants, you could easily find yourself, if I just applied to a bunch of, of grants just for Black women, I could find myself copying and pasting a lot. And that's actually not the approach you want to take. You actually want to deeply and intimately know the funder, know their priorities, know their goals. And you want to be able to speak to that and align yourself with why you should be chosen for that funding opportunity. So the more you can align with that, the, the, the better positioned you are for the grant opportunity. So that would just be my last recommendation is to, to focus on more niche grants that are more aligned to your niche and to treat it like a new client avatar. Treat it like from your messaging to doing your research around that organization, because when you're copying and pasting um, applications, grant applications, you're actually not actually leveraging the opportunity um, that you could uh, to really align with that organization to know why you're really a fit for, for that funding opportunity. So let me know in the chat if that makes sense, if that sparks any other questions. Um, if folks in the chat, you know, there's lots of wisdom here collectively in this community. And so if there's grant opportunities you all know about, please feel free to, to share those in the chat. Um, Andre asks, what types of requirements come with that funding? Do they attach certain outcomes? So it, it really depends. It depends. So there are some grants where they just give you the funding. Um and some grants come with mentorship and support. Like I'm in a, a Facebook group and someone just posted a grant opportunity for women of color through the Tory, Tory Birch Foundation. Um, and there's no attachments, nothing you have to report, but you get mentorship with it. Um, and then there's some other uh, funding opportunities where their requirements or what they consider to be the relationship that you're now engaging with they actually want updates. <laughs> like they want to know how you're doing. They want to know how you're spending the money. Um, so that's another good question for you to, to, um, to really dive into. And usually you have a little bit more of those, those requirements when you start getting into the philanthropy funding um, where they want to have some updates of, of how you're doing because Many times there's an opportunity to renew when it's when it's a philanthropy funding versus if it's a business grant. Most business grants are just one time um, versus philanthropy. You can renew. They could be longer term grants. And so they actually want a more deeper relationship to understand how you're growing. Um, so it just depends. And that's a really great question, Andre, that you would want to be looking for of what's the requirements that come for funding. Um, so, again, if it's if it is um, most of the business grants don't have many like reporting requirements, um, but once you start stepping into philanthropy, uh, that's when uh, you'll you'll start to see some of those requirements. All right. So that's the first question. Hey, Laris. All right. So the second uh, question. I'm actually going to flip the these two. I'm going to actually go over who makes decisions for districts regarding the consulting contract and then go into the best way to approach because I think it just makes sense to 
to answer the decision question first before we start talking about reproach. Um, Gina, my grant was through a new school venture fund. So I'll drop it into the chat. So they have different funding portfolios and I just can't stress enough of just like treating it like a new client avatar. Like if you go on their website and I'll use New School Ventures Fund as an example, if you go on their website, you'll see they have different funding portfolios and your your or company could fall under more than one. But then this is where you have to be really thoughtful around well, what are you most aligned with? Because you shouldn't be writing the same application to, to each portfolio. Like it would actually sound really different how you're answering the questions if you're applying under a diverse leaders learning portfolio versus a racial equity portfolio. What you say in your application is going to be very, very different. Um, so I, I just can't stress that enough because when people start getting into that copy and pasting phase, I'm like, you're, you're actually not... Um, you're actually not giving yourself the full opportunity to be able to align yourself with the organization who's providing funding funding to give yourself a really strong shot. Um, so funding takes time. <laughs> like it take, if applying for funding takes time. So that's why, again, I urge you niche down, uh, identify those grants that are niche by, it could be your identity in addition to the sector or, or problem you're solving in your business. Um, so that way you can have the space and time to really dedicate to those two to three applications rather than trying to, you know, apply to 10 to 15. And now you're in this like copying, pacing frenzy. Okay. So next is who makes the decisions for districts regarding consulting contracts? Um, so there's a lot of answers to this question. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of answers, and I know there are probably some folks that like want the answer, and the the the, the answer is that there's a lot of people um, because, and within a, a particular school district, there are many different budgets. So there's schools. Every school has their own budget. Every district department has their own budget, um, and so there's a lot of decision makers of of who's deciding how to spend the money because uh, budgets are, are, are situated in many different places. So part of your responsibility is being, being really clear on who is your target client and therefore mapping it back to who would be the decision maker. So for example, if your target client is going to be principals in years one through... <clears throat> Three and serving in in large urban school districts, serving predominantly black and brown communities. If that's your target client, no, I gave notice. I gave a couple of demographic factors, and there's even more that you should know about the target client. But like, I'm just starting there. Those are a couple of demographic factors. You could be approaching the principal directly because the principal has their own school budget that they could be making decisions from and be be um, uh, signing off on a contract. Or you could be approaching the at the district level. There's likely someone in in the professional learning department who is responsible for the professional learning of all principals within the district, and they have a budget. Um, so. There's a lot of people who make decisions around budgets 
you just have to be really clear around who is your target client to then be clear around what the entry point is. Now, here's the thing that I will note is oftentimes when you're going to a district contact, you are you are negotiating or in conversations about a contract serving multiple schools. So, you know, that if you're talking about one of the large, you know, uh, a, one of the large school districts in the country, that's that's a lot of schools versus if you're talking about a smaller rural school district, it might be like five, six schools. So I just say that because oftentimes um, that's just something you want to think about. I think I think people oftentimes are thinking about the the district level process and they're missing the opportunity and the entry points at the school level um, that every principal is making decisions around their budget right now. Um, and they're making them throughout the entire year. So don't think you missed out on an opportunity. Every principal is a decision maker in terms of how they're spending funds. Um, and so that's that's kind of the answer to that question of who's making decisions regarding district contracts. Um, it's a lot of people now. And here's the other thing is typically when you're when you're uh, looking at contracts at the district level versus the school level, um, again, district level is going to require more capacity um, if you're serving more schools. Um, sometimes that's hard for people who are in the early stage of their consulting business because it's just them. They may not have the capacity to be serving multiple schools. Um, so, for example, I worked in Charlotte Mecklenburg schools. We had 150 schools. So if you had a contract with the district, you could potentially be serving 150 schools. Um, <laughs> and that's a lot. Um, and so you would need a team of consultants to help execute on that contract. Um, so many folks grow to that. That's usually... Um, not the entry point for most folks. For most folks, the entry point is at the school level. Um, and so I, one nuance that I just wanted to point out is um, when you start getting at the district level or you're getting at a certain contract amount, and it's different for every school district, uh, it usually kicks in an RFP process. So RFP stands for uh, Request for Proposal. Um, and so a Request for Proposal um, is essentially you having to put together a proposal to actually submit to the district that would be outlining your work. Um, and so that usually happens once you get to a certain contract amount, and that's different for every district. Um, and so just naming that, um, because when it comes to, you know, decision makers, that's usually a process you're getting to when you have these large six-figure contracts versus at the school level, um, if it's below a certain amount at the school level, it's going to be, you know, typically smaller contracts and they're, they're, those smaller contracts don't require the RFP process. Um, so that's that question. And ISIS, I see you said, I've been approached in the opposite way, reaching out to principals first. I've been nervous about the district level. So here's, that's, that's uh, a really great perspective. So here's my recommendation to you, and this goes into our last question, of best ways to approach a district. So I first just want to um, decouple <laughs> or like, I want to break down the word district um, because there's so many decision makers, right? So like, the, the, when we're asking this question, the best way to approach the district for some of us, we're approaching the principal. And actually, some of us actually need to be approaching influencers who may not be the direct decision maker for the, the budget, 
but they are a heavy influencer around how the budget is spent. So for example, when it came, when I was a principal and it came to actually spending funds for social and emotional um, needs and resources, I'm not making that decision. I'm looking at my counselors and my social worker. I'm like, what y'all need? Tell me and I'll spend the money. So they were a heavy influencer when it came to spending funds in, in, in that area in that way. And so that's another entry point is thinking through who might be the influencers that might be different from decision makers, but they still hold a lot of informal power and authority. Um, so to this question of the best way to approach the district. So I, when I when I looked at the five questions that um, we submitted this week, um, I realized that I should have done something a little different because there was a question of what is a funnel that... Um, actually should have been the question that I'm answering right now. But I realize most people don't know what a funnel is. <laughs> and so people probably wouldn't have known to like vote on that question because the question of what is the best way to approach the district, the 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 better question is what is a funnel? <laughs> because um, how I would reframe this question is is not how do you, what's the best way to approach a district? I would reframe this question of, um, what is the best way for you actually to build a pipeline of leads, right? Um, because you could be caught in this, like you're going and doing these one-offs of like approaching, approaching. You actually want to be building a pipeline where people are are building interest and in coming to you and seeking you out. So at some point in your business, you're going to have to pivot. And that's what a funnel is. Um, and so I'm actually going to answer the funnel question a little bit in this because I want you all to actually approach it in that way of you can't build a sustainable business by consistently always reaching out, reaching out when actually you need to be building a funnel. You need to be building a pipeline of leads of people that are actually coming to you. You actually need to flip that dynamic. Um, so I'm going to share two quick thoughts with you. The first thought um, is that uh, there's two types <clears throat> of marketing. There's uh, interruption marketing and there's permission marketing. So interruption marketing is basically like any action you would take that would literally like interrupt, create an interruption for your client. So when you just send an email to someone you don't know, that would be an example of interruption based marketing where like you, you basically pop up like, Hey, <laughs> my name's Erica. This is what I do. Can we talk? Um, when you're like, when someone's sliding into your DMs, that's interruption-based marketing. Um, so that's one approach. A second approach is permission-based marketing, where people are actually opting into to learning more about you and your services. Um, so an example of this could be if, if someone sees you at a conference and at the end of the conference, you name the opportunity for them to stay connected with you by joining your email list, um, then that's permission-based because you're seeking them permission of can we stay connected and they're opting into that. So I will name that my strategies are permission-based marketing because you have higher conversion rates. I believe permission-based marketing for me is more centered on relationships. 
of I'm not trying to slide into everybody's DM. I'm not sliding into people like strangers inboxes. That's just not my approach. I know some people who do that and it works for them. That's not the strategy that I use. And part of it is my experience as a previous principal. I would actually be very frustrated when I would get cold emails (laughs) from people I don't know. um, And they're not taking the time to build a relationship with me. Um, So I will name that I have a heavy bias towards permission-based marketing. So I say that to say that permission-based marketing then has you thinking about your funnel. Permission-based marketing has you thinking about the top part of your funnel. And I'm going to share with you two of the five phases of your funnel. The first two phases, the first one is awareness. It has you thinking about, so back up, let me first define what a funnel is. A, A funnel is the journey of your, that you're intending for your client to take, that's going to be building trust and, and moving them through the process from the very beginning of first learning about you to becoming a paid client. So I say this all the time that spending money is an act of trust. So that's why I am not a fan of interruption-based marketing, because I don't believe that builds trust. I believe permission-based marketing does build trust. And so as you're thinking about this question of the best way to approach a district, my philosophy is you need to approach this from a a standpoint of building trust. So this one, it goes back to your funnel and thinking about what is the actual client journey that you have intentionally uh, put together and created to, to lead people through a trust building process with you. The first step of sending an email to a stranger to me does not build trust. So... The first two parts of the funnel, I'm not going to have time to go through all parts because y'all, I'm about to get kicked out of this room. <laughs> but like the first first um, two parts of the, the funnel out of, there's a total of five, but the first, the top parts, which is going to answer our question of the best way to approach a district. The first part, the top part is awareness. So what are actions that you're taking in your business to build awareness of you, your brand and your services? So you can be building awareness through your online presence, through going to conferences, through a website, through going to, you could, when I say conferences, you could be speaking at conferences, you can be going to conferences to network and build relationships. But thinking about what are the intentional steps that you are taking to build awareness of who you are, because people can't leverage your business if they don't know that you exist. So for example, most people find out about me through one of two ways. Instagram and or someone who's worked for me in the past. So referrals. So I'm really thoughtful about the top part of my funnel of how am I building awareness or maybe this live. (laughs) Like I go live every other week, which is another way that I build awareness, right? So that's the top part of your funnel. And the second part is then consideration. So what are the, 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 the steps that you're taking that's taking someone from being aware of who you are to now they're starting con- to consider you as someone they want to work with? So usually that requires some type of, of multiple touch points. So if you meet someone at a conference and they opt into your mailing list, that means you need to follow up and send emails to your email list. So if you're not emailing your email list, You've just cut off your funnel. 
So let me know in the chat if this is making sense. If you're on IG, send me some hearts or, or something if, if this is clear. Um, but these first two levels, when it goes back to this question of the best way to approach a district, I, I my my strategy is actually building the funnel. And that doesn't mean you don't reach out to people, you don't have conversations. Maybe someone connects you, um, you have a mutual friend, um, and that connection is what builds the awareness. Like you can still do those things, but the bigger picture of this is you actually need to be building a a a intentional client journey that's leading people through a trust building process to get to a point to want to pay you. So I am not willing to give someone $15,000 because they just sent me an email and I don't even know you. That's why I don't do interruption-based marketing. <laughs> like That's why I go permission-based where you might come into my funnel by seeing me at a conference, you sign up for my email list, you get an email from me you know, every week. Um, and then I offer one-on-one -on -one consults. So you decide to, to, to sign up for a one-on-one -on -one consult for 60 minutes. It's a paid consult, which then continues to move you through the funnel. And then I offer a workshop and then you decide to come to the paid workshop. And that continues to build trust and move you to the funnel to where you're like, I want you to be my coach. I'm a new principal. I just got this job. I've been rocking with you for a few months. I want you to be my coach. So those are just um, some thoughts, some reflections. I'm seeing some, some comments in the chat that this is resonating for people. For my folks on Facebook, let me know if this is resonating, if this brings up any follow-up questions or thoughts. Um, but, but if you don't take away anything else from this last question, I want you to take away, and, and Whitley, who's an alum of, of uh, Cycle 7 of Get Launched, she just named one of the modules that we walk through all of this in. Um, but I want you to flip the question of less of how do you approach to how are you building your pipeline of leads? Because you might start approach now, but to build a sustainable business, you're going to need a pipeline of leads. So... Uh, a couple of quick things. If you're on Instagram and you're not in my private Facebook group, click the link on my bio and join us. It's completely free. Um, request to join. Um, so that way you can be in the voting for the upcoming JT Office Hour questions. Um, and we'd love to be in community with you. So anytime that we post a, a poll, you can add a question. Um, so if there's something that you really want me to answer, add it to the poll. So that's it, y'all. Until next time, I'm so glad we had this time together. So have an awesome day. I'll talk to you soon. Gina, have safe travels. You all be safe. And I will see you in about uh, a couple of weeks um, for our next JT Office Hours. All right, see y'all later. Bye.